We are back to talk about tubal ligation. Hey, friends. I got Dr. Valieva back with me. We are on call today at the hospital. It's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a fun night. I'm trying to talk Eric into doing a podcast in the morning after a Carl shift to see how terrible it's going to be, so stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see if we do that. I'm excited. Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN Podcast, a podcast in women's health, but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of your information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm a board-certified OBGYN, and today I have with me, as I said, backed by hot, well, semi-popular demand, Dr. Valieva. Please consider downloading and following along. We are on all the major uh, podcast hosts, and check us out on YouTube for the video podcast. And as we discussed, we're going to talk about tubal ligation, as it is well known, um, but also technically more so female permanent sterilization today is what we'll be concentrating on as one of our surgery consult um, series. And again, we have Dr. Olga Valieva. We practice here in the Pacific Northwest. She did her undergrad and... Sorry. Silence your phone. Um <laughs> In at uh, University of Washington, Pacific Northwest University for med school, and with me at Aurora Healthcare in Milwaukee for residency. What we'll cover today, uh, well, what is permanent sterilization? What options are there? Risks and benefits, as always, a walkthrough of the surgical procedures um, as we discuss them. Are there any complications or consequences um, or other common questions? And maybe some clinical scenarios. So, young Dr. Valieva. Oh, I'm young now. I have a couple. Well. You seem uh, so far away I, today. I don't know <laughs> if I like this. I have a couple of clinical scenarios <laughs> for right, you. let's hear them. Okay. We're talking to patients in the clinic in these scenarios, but you have a 24-year-old female. She's certain she doesn't want um, kids. Mm-hmm. Has tried multiple options for contraception. That includes maybe things like birth control pills, mm-hmm. even IUD, and it has not mm-hmm. worked. And so she's coming to talk about her options. Well, next scenario, we have another 24-year-old female. She is certain she doesn't want kids. She's pursuing a career in medicine. Good on you. And believes that having kids may disrupt this. And is so wanting to discuss her options. Mm-hmm. 45-year-old um, with a Mirena IUD uh, wants to take a break from hormones. Uh, she doesn't want any more kids. And... Uh, she is interested in the idea of permanent sterilization and taking out the IUD. So let's keep these in mind as we talk about mm-hmm. um, permanent sterilization. And so how common is it? You know, I actually don't know the statistics, but it is the most common birth control in the world. <laughs> I'm terrible at BGYN. <laughs> it's okay. The, well, in reproductive age females who use contraception, about 25% of them use permanent sterilization. Mm-hmm. That is in stark contrast to the young gentlemen of the world who, again, same demographic, uh, reproductive age men who use contraception, only about 5% of them contribute with their vasectomy. Is that in the U.S. or worldwide? That's the U.S. Okay, worldwide data is a little different, I feel like. That is U.S. numbers, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Men and their testicles. Men and their testosterone. Mm -hmm. We have so much. (laughs) Um, kind of give us an overview of what kind of options we have mm-hmm. to, um, 
do a p- uh, permanent female sterilization. Awesome. So uh, female sterilization involves some level of cutting, burning, clipping, tying off of the fallopian tubes. So the fallopian tubes are the little connection between the ovary and the uterus where the sperm and the egg actually meet, and that's where fertilization happens. And so the goal of the sterilization is to prevent the sperm and the egg from meeting by blocking said fallopian tube. So um, recently, there was a newer procedure. It was called Escher sterilization, which has since been discontinued. Escher, Escher. Escher, Escher. Potato, potato. Potato, potato, right. Um, Just because it had so many other issues and side effects and complications. But that um, essentially caused a blockage in both the fallopian tubes. We no longer use that. Um, It was kind of a pain to do... Oh, I loved it. Really? The procedure of it, because you don't have to go into somebody's sure, abdomen, was, which yeah. is, we'll talk about here yeah, in a second. Okay. But it was kind of a fun little hysteroscopic procedure. Yeah, I guess. It Bad was, that it, it caused right. issues. So but, many issues. Um, um, but the more common ones would be um, tubal ligation, um, either postpartum, immediately postpartum, a few weeks postpartum, or just in a random time period in someone's reproductive life cycle. Um, we typically cut our uh, ligate clip both fallopian tubes unless somebody has already had one that was taken care of or damaged by another reason um, since we want both of those tubes clipped and we do them either laparoscopically which I guess we do most of the time um, on an outpatient setting or if somebody's having a delivery like a cesarean section we do them during their cesarean section Um, the procedure in and of itself is not very long the fallopian tubes are pretty tiny so it doesn't take long to cut them or ligate them Um, I would say maybe five minutes top of the actual poking around in there, Eric, right? And then, um, but there's a recovery... whole procedure like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, that's probably it's generous. Quick. Maybe on a slow day. <laughs> Maybe never in a rush. <laughs> never in a rush, we are. Um, yeah. yeah. So, a bunch of different methods, mm-hmm. but I would say by far a majority of. Um, us practitioners, mm-hmm. OBGYNs, are if it's the interval tubal sterilization so it's not immediately postpartum we're doing the self-injectomy mm-hmm. and that's been a huge shift no. over the last yep. five to ten years mm-hmm. yep so recently we've been removing the entire fallopian tube or both the fallopian tubes because we found that for some populations of women it actually reduces the risk of them getting ovarian cancer um, by a huge percentage so we are offering that as an option to women and i would say most people go for that option. Previous to this, we would either clip them with a device called Filshi Clips. They're little metal inert um, clips. clips yeah. Yep. And then we would put them kind of in the middle of the fallopian tubes and they would both obstruct and also then kind of kill off the segment and separate the fallopian tubes. Yeah. Or we would burn the tube completely with um, electric cautery or put a little ring or tie them off. I've um, never done the ring. I've never seen the ring. Yeah. Only in a textbook. Yeah. I heard it was a thing, though. Earlier in our residency, yeah. we had some providers that did the burning, and so mm-hmm. I've done that. Mm-hmm. We've done the clips, mm-hmm. but I haven't done that in a good amount of time. And there's they're effective, but slightly less effective. So the risk of pregnancy after those was still about five in a thousand. Yeah. So there was a potential risk of you know pregnancy. Some of them even range as high as 20 to 30 out of a thousand. Um, we don't have the same data for the self-injecting removal of, of the tubes because we haven't done a lot of longitudinal data analysis. It hasn't been it, around long it enough. It hasn't been around. Yeah. So, but we're thinking it's pretty close to non-existent risk of pregnancy, but. Because I think the Crest mm-hmm. study, which 
really looked at comparing a lot of these mm-hmm. things, that was done over like a 14 year time period. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's only been like five years of like consistent consistent data. Yeah. 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 So um, we will learn eventually, but um, it's been working really well. Mm-hmm. I think a good benefit to it is saying like, oh, why would you want your tubes out too? Yes, it might reduce the risk of future ovarian cancers, but the flipping tubes can also cause other problems too, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout someone's life. And if um, someone has decided they don't want any more kids mm-hmm. and they're going to have the procedure in my eye, my eyes, it's just a lot. Um, makes sense to just mm-hmm. remove them. Can grow cysts, can infections can be there, um, can just, you know, can dilate or cause pain. So anyway, in my eyes, I like doing it that way. Yeah. And it's reliable. It's permanent. You don't have to think about it. It's done. You're good. Yeah. To live we, your life. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's the nice part about the permanent serialization, the benefit of that peace of mind yeah. that, you know, this is really good form of contraception. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of people's mind, they think it's absolutely 100% effective and it's pretty darn close, but unfortunately, just due to statistics, <laughs> nothing's 100%. And there are some uh, potential risks of failure or pregnancy in, um, you know, after a, a tubal ligation procedure. Mm-hmm. Pretty rare, um, but that is, we'll just maybe jump into the risks mm-hmm. and complications. And so, um, you know, comparing, because um, I think it's a good idea to compare female and male sterilization procedures. Um, actually, data says vasectomy, once you get the confirmatory true. Um, um, semen analysis without sperm in it, um, it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking on the order of uh, a tenth or you know, 0.1%, or so that would be like hundredth. One anyway, in one in a thousand more. But I bet we don't have a lot of male listeners jumping at the... We're going to get them. You think? This, mm-hmm. we're, this is also... This is... A for podcast everyone. in for women's everyone. health, but for everyone. It is true. Um, so uh, <laughs> we're on call together. Um, Things get weird. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, 0.1% failure for vasectomy, 0.5% for um, uh, female sterilization procedures. But that includes all of the ones we talked about, mm-hmm. including some of them that um, maybe weren't as effective. So I'm guessing that actually doing a bilateral self-injecting bilateral self-injectomy or removing the whole tubes mm-hmm. is probably very similar. I mean, I just, I, you, you have to think through so. it, yeah. it just, how, you know? Yeah. 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 So um, that's a risk. Actually, one of the, probably the, the, the highest percentage risk, I would say, of the procedure, you know, it's not that, it's not, you know, risk of bleeding infection, damage to any surrounding tissues. It's the risk of regret mm-hmm. uh, and someone regretting getting their tubes tied. Absolutely. Um, they looked at this in studies and, Biggest risk factor was age. And mm-hmm. so um, I think we'll talk more about this procedure in young women as we get along further in this podcast. But uh, for example, um, in general population in the US, if someone's less than 30 years old, uh, you have about a 20% chance of regretting this procedure. And mm-hmm. that's pretty high. And this is even in women who've had multiple children, not yeah. just people who have never had children. So even if you yeah. had four, five, six kids, whatever, um, that risk is still there. Yeah. And I think part of it, and this may feel different since you don't have a uterus, um, it's a, it's a permanent of. thing, right? So it's a being able to carry a pregnancy reproduces if it, for a lot of women is a defining feature of womanhood, right? And once that option is gone, it's kind of a... It's a yeah. big deal, right? So even if you know you don't want to have kids, making that big step for permanent sterilization procedure can yeah. be a big, big deal. And sometimes it does come with regret. So that's yeah. definitely something that we always counsel our patients. It's not something to be taken lightly. It, you have to really think about this and take it seriously. Yeah. 
um, because one of the questions we get is, is it's reversible? And we'll talk about that towards mm-hmm. the end. Um, not the way I do it. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, the, you know, we talk about there's other procedural risk, bleeding, infection, damage to surrounding tissues. They talk about this risk of ectopic pregnancy. And I think it's brought up sometimes in counseling, but I think it's interpreted in, um, maybe not perfectly because mm-hmm. your risk of pregnancy isn't higher. But the, if you get a pregnancy after getting your tubes tied, mm-hmm. the higher risk of that being an ectopic because the tube is damaged. And so that's kind of, I think, a topic for the future. But uh, we say that a lot, but mm-hmm. um, we will talk about ectopic pregnancy in the future. But, you know, if there's a damage in that fallopian tube, that pathway, if a pregnancy is going down, it, it likely is going to stick to that damaged mm-hmm. tissue. So that's kind of the hallmark of a uh, ectopic pregnancy. Okay, so Olga, mm-hmm. give me a walk through what it might look for someone that is interested in getting a laparoscopic bilateral self injection. Are we talking about the procedure itself? Mm-hmm. Okay, step one: pick your good music. <laughs> Make sure you're, your subconscious <laughs> will enjoy it. Yes, when you're sleeping, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, laparoscopic sterilization. Obviously, we do it in the operating room since it is a invasive procedure. The patient is usually slash always under anesthesia. Um, general anesthesia, general with anesthesia, them. fully asleep, fully paralyzed, so that they can't move. Since we are poking around in a belly, uh, we quick make, side note: much different than a vasectomy, in office procedure. Patient wide N- awake. Yeah, yeah, Squirming maybe a little though. pain relief. Yeah, um, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm wondering about their manhood. Um, Once a patient is asleep, we make a very, very tiny incision, about a quarter of an inch or five millimeters in the belly button folds so that there is a very small minimal scar. And then we put a camera through that port or hole. And then we take a look around the belly after we put a little bit of gas in there. And then we make, um, do you do three incisions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another Some people do two. Some people do two. It's pain and suffering, though. Um, Two other tiny incisions over the hip bones, also about a quarter inch or five millimeters. And then we take a look around the anatomy, lift up one fallopian tube, cut, buzz, cut, buzz. Buzz, cut, buzz, cut. I am getting If you do two, you have to put a uterine manipulator in. I don't put one in. And you do two? Oh, we need you do two? Yeah. Oh, I don't do two. Yeah, but the people that do have to put a manipulator in. Yeah. 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 And then we pull those tiny little fallopian tubes through those five millimeter incisions, pull out, take out all the gas, pull out the uh, instruments, and then put tiny little stitches um, to close those incisions, put some glue on, and then you're done. Um, I mean, legitimately, from start of incision to closure takes 10, maybe 15 minutes. It's a pretty quick procedure. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the whole like setup, getting to the hospital, recovery, all that stuff takes a little bit longer, but the procedure itself is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, some people, um, if you're doing either the Filshi clips or the cotter, you can only get, you can get away with only two incisions. One would be in the belly button, one over your pubic bone. And that gives you access again to the lower pelvis without having to have multiple incisions. But honestly, the recovery is exactly the same. There isn't a benefit of having two versus three. There are such tiny little holes that you really don't notice any difference. Um, the other option is to do it immediately postpartum. This is not something that we actually offer in our facility, but a lot of facilities do. Um, one Good question to ask, because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. like the idea of it. Absolutely. Uh, typically after delivery, uh, the uterus is still at about the level of the belly button or the umbilicus, so we can have pretty easy access. So we make a small incision about two to three centimeters, which is about an inch big, along the belly button line and are able to actually fish the fallopian tube 
with our finger or a little instrument called a babcock up and then either clip or completely remove the fallopian tube and then do the same thing to the other side put a couple of stitches in and then you're good to go and often this is yeah. done with just the epidural in place because you already have the anesthesia or if they don't have the epidural they go under general anesthesia just like for yeah. a laparoscopic in that scenario with mm-hmm. doing the uh, the postpartum one because mm-hmm. you're actually operating with your hands you can actually tie the tubes mm-hmm. you do the mm-hmm. the pomeroy or mm-hmm. the um, blanket on the other method but um parkland. yeah parkland yeah. um well, you can method get- of tying them and so that's where actually where like the idea of tying the tubes comes mm-hmm. from but you really don't actually tie the tubes laparoscopically um, no. in any of the ways oh, that's so just pain and suffering but patients do actually bring that up and they're like no 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 i want my tubes tied you're like no 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 we're 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 doing the, the same thing, mm-hmm. but you know, the, so sometimes the idea of or the terminology tying the tubes, um, people, patients sometimes mm-hmm. just take that a little too literally, but mm-hmm. we kind of use that as an all encompassing term. Um, well, I mean, prior to modern or technology, yeah. that was really the only option of having your sterilization. So, right. again, the culturally, generationally, that's what people tend to hear. Right. So, all right, yeah. um, well. Now that we've gone through a lot of it, mm-hmm. I kind of want to bring up these clinical scenarios because yeah. there's a couple of points that I want to make. And I do see these scenarios quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first scenario, 24-year-old female. She doesn't want kids. She's tried all of these different options. She's frustrated because none of them works. And she's like, I just want my tube side. And she's like, is there an age requirement or anything like that? Um, no. I mean, as long as I think there are you definitely see out there with people commenting or things mm-hmm. like that, like, oh, my doctor wouldn't tie my tubes. He said I was too young, mm-hmm. said I needed to have kids. I would never say that. Mm-mm. That's very um, medicine. Yeah, and there is potentially people that would say that. Um, but judging da- you. Uh, right, or mm-hmm. projecting what you should do with your life. Um, in that case, yes, you might need to switch. But also don't take it offensively if your provider, like in the second scenario, mm-hmm wants to really present alternative options. Mm -hmm. And so 24-year-old, she doesn't want kids. She's really focused on her career, which is perfect if that's what she wants. And, um, you know, the thinking, um, you know, she'll never want kids. Well, life changes. Things Mm -hmm. change. Like, you know, how we were so energetic and, you know, going through school and all that stuff. We weren't even thinking about kids. and, Mm -mm. um, And so, but life changes. And so in this scenario, it's like, well, let's explore something like an IUD. She's like, mm-hmm. I don't want an IUD because I don't want kids. I'm like, I understand that. But actually, with all these numbers that we present, things like the IUD and the mm-hmm. arm implant statistically are just as good mm-hmm. as tying your tubes. Um, and so that's why we we sometimes talk with patients and say, let's take a step back. Let's make sure we explore other options because this is permanent. It mm-hmm. can't be reversed. And so um, that's why... I you know in that scenario I just want to bring up we present other options because you know it's it is a big decision yeah. yeah it's not that we think you shouldn't get this done right. if we've or, talked about it yeah. and you're still like this yes you are an adult you're able to make that decision um, about your body and I respect that mm-hmm. but um, we're just presenting yeah. options not because we think 
you're not capable. Yeah. So of. don't don't be offended if we're still going through all of this data and all of these numbers and all of the options. Right. We just want to make sure that you understand what your choices and options are and understand what the consequences are. Um, and like Aaron said, you're your own person. You're an adult. You can make your decisions. Um, and we respect that. So yeah. um, I do want to back up. You mentioned as far as the age. I do believe in most states you have to be at least 21. For state insurance. State insurance. But there's no... I thought it was regardless. Private insurance. Right? No, it's care. a state okay. insurance right. issue. Um, I'm maybe they would insurance. Yeah. Um, I mean, all their, you know, decision making that comes mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. I, that's mainly if someone has state insurance, you have a couple more hoops to jump through. Um, sometimes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to sign a piece of paper and they mm-hmm. make us wait 30 days after you sign it. So that's why it's good to, if you're um, pregnant or at any point, you know, take that into consideration. Oh, I should let my provider know, especially if you're getting a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can sign that paper. So it makes you eligible to get your tubes tied during mm-hmm. your C-section if that's what you want. Absolutely. Uh, one last scenario, again, just to bring up this 45-year-old female. Um, she has a Marin IUD. And my idea was that, you know, she's not actually, she's like enjoying the, the lesser bleeding with the IUD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's thinking, yeah, but I, I know I don't want kids anymore. It's like, again, but the IUD is, is just as good. And mm-hmm. it's giving you that benefit of decreased menstrual bleeding, potentially cramping. Um, maybe just keep that IUD. And get it. a tubal. Well, that's that's pretty good birth control right that's there. pretty good birth control a little unnecessary but <laughs> some people um, are paranoid <laughs> always know that if you're if you're taking out your iud and um looking into a tubal mm-hmm. your bleeding patterns might change or increase that's a good segue because i wanted to bring up that i something that i always talk to my patients about too is what are your periods like and is this a good form of contraception too aside mm-hmm. from lifestyle and whatever and hormonal use because if you're using hormonal contraceptives including a hormonal IUD because you already also have terrible periods discontinuing those is not in your best favor right yeah um obviously you can always go back on them for bleeding control if after you get tubes tied right but Which, then you went you through know, the procedure right and exactly it's a little redundant so to be there's on. a lot of considerations yeah. on that too so something yeah. that we do discuss with patients yeah um it's not that again it's not that we say oh you should stick with this mm-hmm. birth control option because i think you're not sure about your yeah. your childbearing no i know that i'm just saying you know be it's aware. giving you both yeah um, and also let me know in a few months when you're tired of your period and we can talk about that too <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, just quick through hit common questions mm-hmm. we get, you know, how does tiny tubes affect the body? Um, bleeding problems shouldn't affect it. Not um, as we talked about the tube is separate part. It connects to the uterus and into the endometrial cavity, but it doesn't have any of, um, the part that gets taken out or clipped mm-hmm. or burnt doesn't, shouldn't affect your bleeding. What's menstrual bleeding and cramping mm-hmm. uh, shouldn't mm-hmm. be affected. Um, your hormones will not change mm-hmm. uh, from this. Um, and again, caveat, if they're previously on birth control, hormonal birth control, they'll go back to being natural hormones, right? And then mm-hmm. they'll go back to their natural bleeding pattern. So some women will feel that their menses got worse after they got their tubes tied. I, I keep saying tubes tied, right? But it's really, they're just what they're supposed to be naturally. We were just augmenting them with yeah. hormonal birth control. So that's something to always warn patients about yeah, too. A, that's a good point. And, yeah. and to build off that too, even more um, as someone's making that decision, potentially in their mid thirties, late thirties, mm-hmm. early forties to tie their tubes. There's also a lot of just 
physiologic changes mm-hmm. that are happening with the ovaries and the hormones decreasing from the ovaries where someone's bleeding patterns mm-hmm. might become irregular to begin with. So it's usually, if so, you hear about someone saying their bleeding changed after they got their tube side, it might just be because of a different mm-hmm. um, complicating factor. Right. But the procedure itself does not cause that to happen. It's just other body, life, hormonal changes that are causing that difference. Okay. Um, so one last thing, if someone comes to you and is like, I want my tubes t- reversed, well, one, if they had a self-injectomy or they were, mm-hmm. tubes are removed, they can't. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes to you and they say, I want my tubal reversed, what do you say to them? I send them to you. Just <laughs> yeah. <getting it> done. <laughs> I would actually, um, like, I would love to, I know, to do the so reversal weird. procedure, but one, it's not going to be covered by insurance. True. And so it's probably going to be at least $10,000 mm-hmm. to just get you in the door in the operating room is like $10,000. And that's like yeah. if I do it pro bono yeah, and like everyone else does it pro bono. Right. Yeah. And so like to get an operating room is that much money. And then um, like non-dimension equipment, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it's also not that effective. I believe the data is like 60-70% efficacy after reversal, which is also equivalent to going through IV in vitro fertilization, which is typically what we would recommend right. for somebody. So if so, the outcomes are the same... And there's a safer option too right. with in vitro, mm-hmm. that risk of ectopic pregnancy is much lower because again, a damaged tube or a repaired tube mm-hmm. is, has going to have scar, scar tissue. Yep. It's going to get sticky. That egg is going to stick there. Um, and you have a much higher chance of ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think you're potentially choosing the right option when, you know, in fact, for very similar price at that point, and not that that's a, the biggest factor for all this, well, but like- a factor, yeah. Um, and for better outcomes. Really. And but we're talking better outcomes, safer outcomes, mm-hmm. similar price with IVF. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of usually the general recommendations. I mean, there can be certain caveats to everything, but- sure. Yeah. I mean, I think people that do the procedure regularly have probably better percentages, but again, damage tube, cost, is it actually going to work? Yeah. Is your body able I would, to I would warn someone to make sure that they get consults for both REI or mm-hmm. the reproductive medicine experts and whoever's saying they can tie mm-hmm. your tube, uh, reverse your tubal. Yeah. So actually what I do here locally is I know the REIs that do reversal, so I send them to those specific oh, okay. infertility yeah, specialists good. so that they can get counseling on both reversal and yeah. IVF at the same time. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's doable. It's just maybe not in your best interest. That's why we really try to make sure some, someone is, is certain when we do it, to, uh, tie the tube. So, um, perfect. Yeah. Anything else? Back to call. Got to answer those text messages. No, just go to work. a delivery. Work, work, work. All right. I'm not ignoring work. They're not. They're not emergent. Yeah, we'll so. see if we All do right. one more podcast tonight when we're sleep deprived. I think it'll be really fun. Um, I do not. I do. Um, He's being negative. So, <laughs> thank you everybody for uh, tuning in for today's podcast um, and potentially viewing on YouTube. If you have any questions, please let us know. Uh, as always, the content of this podcast and video are for educational purposes only. None of the content is meant for personal medical advice. Please contact your medical provider if you're in need for personal medical advice. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night.